Welcome to Pacific Mammal Researchers Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a 501c3 research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In this series, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss interesting facts about each species. This is our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy the series and be sure to follow us on Instagram to vote for which animal we talk about next. And without further ado, Welcome to the Pac-Man podcast. I'm Cindy. I'm Kat. And I'm Trevor. And this week we are doing another marine mammal highlight and it was between the dusky dolphin and the Waddell seal. Um, we were kind of trying to get spooky with it with Halloween and stuff but it was a little bit hard um, but duskies are cool because it's like you know at dusk uh, and the Waddell seal has really eerie sounds so that's where we were going with. Um, but our Instagram poll was tied again, uh, so it came down to our Facebook story uh, voters, and the dusky dolphin just squeaked out a win by about two, two votes. So. Good job, voters. Good job. <laughs> so the Facebook guys, you, you may uh, it may be end up being the uh, the tiebreakers many times. So check your your Facebook stories. <laughs> um, so it is the dusky dolphin um, this week, and I'm excited about it. There's a surprisingly less is known about this these yeah. ones even though they're pretty well known it's a really odd combination i feel like it's almost like the harbor porpoises whereas like yeah. everybody knows about a harbor porpoise like they know they exist but we don't actually know much about harbor porpoises right. except that, and, and the, the one difference between them and the harbor porpoises is that these guys are very not shy yes <laughs> yes exactly. we'll talk about that yeah but we'll so it's there. interesting uh, that they are less known um anyway okay. But before we get into too much, we should just start the episode. So <laughs> or give away too much. Um, so we're going to do Trevor again is back with us, of course, which we're very happy about, um, hopefully for the rest of the, the season here. And um, as the winter comes and things calm down a bit in the Pacific Northwest, at least for field season stuff. Yeah, weather-wise, no, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, All right. Um, so Trevor's going to start us off with the... Um, uh, what they look like and their basic kind of info. Yeah. So first off, I'll just kind of explain where they are. They're only in the southern hemisphere and mainly coastal ecosystems, kind of like the harbor porpoise up here, northern hemisphere, coastal, mm -hmm. but mainly coastal, the southern hemisphere, and some are offshore, but there's usually like shelves that they're found at. Mm -hmm. So usually they're found in like upwelling areas. But that being said, like I'll just compare it to the porpoise where it's kind of everywhere over the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere, coastal-wise. Mm -hmm. It's a little more restricted in the Southern Hemisphere for these guys. On the Western edge of South America, they're everywhere, but in the same latitude, not really in Africa and Australia. So further South and colder waters is what they prefer. It's yeah, even. it's interesting off of Argentina that mm -hmm. it seemed to be like, a, that's a big population there. And then like New Zealand, and then they right. little pockets. <laughs> little pockets here and there. I mean, there's some in Australia, but like Tasmania area, which mm -hmm. is part of Australia. It's not a country. Um, and I actually saw dusky dolphins in New Zealand. So that's cool. lucky duck. That's that so cool. List. Yeah, bucket list. Um, did they jump? Did they jump for you? Did no, they you know, it's oh. like five minutes. It was an opportunity. Oh. There they are. Gotta go. Oh, well, that's something. <laughs> but we saw penguins too. It's pretty cool. But oh, that's cool. Anywho, they, appearance-wise, they're actually pretty small for a dolphin, mm -hmm. about six feet long. That's it. 
And I think that's on the upper end too. So it's usually like five and a half. So six feet long, not tall, mm-hmm. and about 200 pounds or so. It's again almost similar to a harbor porpoise. I mean, five, five and a half feet, 150 pounds, a little like bit smaller. A but... yeah. <laughs> so, dolphin wise, they're pretty small. Um, they don't really know the population estimate because the data sucks and <laughs> they get killed a lot in Peru, which I'm sure somebody's going to talk about. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> so, they don't really know the population because of data. Um, but, appearance wise, they actually, if you know what a Pacific white sided dolphin is, in up here in the northern hemisphere they look basically the same and yeah, they're, very of, they're, they're closely related to them too exactly researchers yeah. actually there's some people who think they're the same species really yeah mm-hmm. but that's interesting yeah based on some differences like a paper i was looking at had cytochrome b sequence analysis show that they were different species Genetics, they yeah. are like based their sister species essentially so they those two dolphins share a ancestor like okay genetic tree the nodes right closely related Mm -hmm. yeah so they're super similar so if you've seen a pacific white-sided dolphin imagine that (laughs) (laughs) so pretty much dark and then they have a white belly um but that white kind of comes up a little bit halfway up the flank to their beak but their beak Mm -hmm. can start start which their beak they don't really have much of one like their forehead kind of goes (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean it's there it's definitely not a porpoise but yeah yeah so dark minimal. and then i imagine it as like hot wheel style white that comes in to the flank as well so imagine like powder shading and then kind of like a weird swooping white coming in and then the black good color. reference yeah. I like it. good reference trevor <laughs> <laughs> but the, it, when they're surfacing you can't really see that so yeah. the best way is looking at the dorsal black in the leading edge and then it trails to more of a white lighter gray on the trailing edge got it which again is really similar to pacific white-sided dolphins but that's just what they look like right yeah they're really striking in color mm-hmm. their coloration they're just beautiful yeah and i've seen them so it's kind of cool that is very cool yeah they have like this little like stubby stubby little rostrum yeah so like- really similar to pacific white-sided dolphin they are considered separate species as of two to three million years ago of separation they think Mm. but different, well, and then, is slightly different yeah yeah genetics is crazy because i mean like for example the bald, uh, atlantic spotted dolphins are more in regards to genetics more closely related to bottlenose dolphins than they are other spotted dolphins and right. so it'll be interesting to see as we learn more and more about genetics how the phylogenetic trees get changed a bit right. you know kind of the same idea as the finless porpoises that we talked about previously mm-hmm. right they assume they're the same species until like seven years ago right mm-hmm. yeah and they're like hey. yeah there's little morphological things here and there but the dna like yeah they're different right but then you know and it also goes to then what you know what exactly do we call a different species like yeah. is it just morph- morphology is it genetics too does that really make a difference you know can they interbreed and we'll talk about interbreeding so um yeah it's very interesting yeah so Basically, yeah, it's just separate species. There technically are three subspecies, or not subspecies, but three. I, I saw four. Is there three or four? But I saw three, but with a proposed four. Yes, oh, okay, that's also what I saw. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because so, whenever the ones that I saw was Argentina, the African, the Peruvian slash Chilean, and then the New Zealand. Yes, but one of those I can't remember what now. Maybe the, the African. From because... what I know, from what I read, it's the New Zealand one that's been proposed, but. Um, oh. 
as, as the, the one that I read said that it had not yet been accepted, but that might be outdated. I'm not quite sure. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, from what I read, it was it was the New Zealand one that has been proposed as a, as a fourth subspecies. Subspecies. Huh. All the same species umbrella wise, but right. population ranges and everything differs. Well, and that's what's so interesting about those two is that, you know, you're talking about the harbor porpoises that have, like you said, a continuous distribution. These guys are completely pocketed. Like there's the population by Argentina. There's a population by New Zealand and they're separated by sometimes an entire ocean. So it's weird. Like where do these pockets of little guys come from <laughs> and what happened to the rest of them? <laughs> how did, how did they get there? That's, That's what I got for those guys though. Cool. cool. All right. Well, I'm going to move into diet and behavior then. Um, and so uh, as Trevor's already kind of mentioned, the data is somewhat lacking and Kat will, I'm sure, continue on this after <laughs> I talk. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, there, um, we have those, those four, three or four subspecies, um, but most of the information that we have for them come from the uh, Argentinian and the um, the New Zealand population. And mostly what I'm gonna be talking about comes from the New Zealand population because that's the one that more of the social and behavior data um, has come from. Um, but uh, the first thing, the most notable, that if you look up dusky dolphin, all the images, you're gonna see them flying through the air. You're going to see them jumping and leaping. Um, and that's the first thing that anybody says about them is that they are intensely acrobatic. Um, and they've been described as uh, the uh, one of the most active dolphin species. And I like this one. One of them was insane acrobats. <laughs> so, you know, wow. the, the high pretty, level. Pretty bold. Yeah, bold <laughs> statement there. So they'll regularly perform high jumps and breaches, tumbling and twisting in the air. And I'll talk about why they, they do that. Um, but they are in comparison to harbor porpoises, the exact opposite, right? The harbor porpoises are shy and elusive, and these guys are like, hello, I'm here. Everybody look at me. I'm beautiful. Um, and they're in much larger groups. So they can be in as, as few as two, but generally it's like 10 to 20 plus is the kind of normal group size, up to over a thousand, depending on certain spots. So, I mean, that would just be a sea of dusky dolphins. Again, it's, it's really so cool. This is like white-sided, kind of same idea. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It was larger um, gregarious, gregarious aggregations, as they like to say. Um, so they are, along with their acrobatic behavior, they are very inquisitive. Um, they are attracted to boats and uh, like other uh, cetaceans will like to bow ride. Um, and so they're not shy, <laughs> again, opposite of harbor porpoises. Um, and they do um, actually associate with many other different species. So, and I wish I could find more information on how they interact with these, but I, it was really, they basically just said that they do this and I couldn't really find too much about why or what. One for the, I think for the, was it the common dolphin where they said they will, they will um, forage with them. So I didn't see that for common dolphins. I found that for New Zealand fur seals. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I found that for um, common dolphin. So, okay. All those two in New Zealand. You saw what these are. Yeah, so did I actually. Yeah. Cool. I have not because I have not been to New Zealand. <laughs> I saw one in Australia. He was a bit lost, but oh, you know. well, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, they've been known to associate with common dolphins, long-finned pilot whales, bottlenose dolphins, Hector's dolphins, killer whales, New Zealand fur seals, sperm whales, southern right whales, and humpback whales. Yeah, sperm so, whales. Cool. 
And some of the larger species, it's because they 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 basically whale ride. So I think wow. they, they do the, the bow riding on the on the on the the you know the wave the wake that the the large whale is making or the bow. So I thought that was so cool. Like they're just like, I'm gonna ride this bow. Oh wait, it's a whale. It's fine. <laughs> it's gonna keep going. There's some really good drone videos of dolphins playing with like blue whales and humpbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really just uh, amazing, and it, 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 you kind of look at it and like, uh, are those larger? You can, I think, the larger whales sometimes are annoyed. <laughs> it's probably like flies. Yeah, like get off. Why are you doing this? Go away. Personal space, sure guys. Personal space. Right. <laughs> this is my dance space. This is your dance space. Thank you. Um, but I'm sure some of them probably don't care. But it's, it depends on the individual. Um, and so I found some interesting stuff. They play with other species too. So they've um, apparently been known to grab kelp gulls and brown hooded gulls and actually pull them under the water for like 30 centimeters and then let them go. <laughs> Jeez. So I'm like, ooh, you gotta be careful being a gull around those guys. <laughs> I mean, they, they wow. you know, they survive and it's okay, but probably not fun. Um, and this one was really cool. And this was by Dara Orbach, uh, which I didn't realize that she had done some stuff down there. Um, uh, there is a paper that was uh, put out a few years ago um, that they interacted with common octopus. And oh. so what likely happened is that it started with some exploratory behavior because they don't eat them. They, they're not in the same niche. They're more um, so, and they, there's no evidence that they eat these. So it probably started this exploratory behavior, like again, curious, like, let me see if I can do the same thing with this octopus that I do with the gulls uh, until the octopus detached itself to the dusky dolphin. And then it turned to just to distress, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, get it off, get it off, get it off, get it off. And they would attach behind the dorsal fin so the, the, the dolphin can't get to it. Yeah. Um, I remember reading have, that paper actually. Yeah. And they have a good, they have a great picture moves. of one that's, it's octopus that's like free swimming and he's like grabbing at the tentacles that the dolphin hits. <laughs> so I always thought of like the curiosity, you know, the, the, adage uh curiosity killed the cat you know it didn't kill the dolphin but it probably really annoyed it <laughs> getting an octopus stuck to yourself well honestly it's lucky that it attached behind the dorsal fin and not in front of the dorsal fin over the blowhole because right that would, just, that would be a problem some dolphins yeah. have died that way i think right exactly yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah yeah hmm. octopus are, are 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 not things to play with <laughs> if you're gonna eat it you either. better be you know you better be doing that for a reason yeah. <laughs> trying to catch it um, so that was really cool. Um, so the, um, the other stuff again is, is this is geared more towards the New Zealand guys in, in Kaikoura. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ones in Kaikoura, uh, like other dolphin species, are highly social and they live in a kind of a structured fission fusion society. Um, they have long-term associates that they hunt with. So the data that they have for that, they've associated with those same individuals over a thousand days. So that's like three years roughly um and then they have non-random kind of more casual acquaintance associates that associate over 200 days so up to you know three quarters of a year so they definitely have you know these uh non-random choosing to be with certain individuals Mm -hmm. um and the weird thing is that i couldn't find I, i wasn't able to access that paper fully but I'm not sure exactly how they determine individuals. I'm assuming it's photo ID, but I couldn't find anything on if they do photo ID with these guys. So, um, Good point. 
yeah, I'm not sure how they did that, but um, they do know that mothers and calves are found in very dedicated nursery groups. So instead of like just the groups being larger with calves, they actually are just just mothers and calves um, hanging out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's separate from the larger subgroups. And they'll, they'll go over into those groups too, but they do find those just by themselves. Um, and I'll talk a minute about why, <laughs> why that might be important. Is, it, um, is there any male aggression? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about that. Yeah, in the meeting. Mm -hmm. um, so they did look at uh, a recent paper in like 2019 um, showed evidence of gregariousness that differs between individuals. So how you know friendly one individual is versus another one, how many friends they have, and how many they associate with. Um, so that just highlights the need to look at this at the individual level, like we do with the porpoises and killer whales and bottlenose dolphins. Like knowing those individuals affects you know that their choices affect how the social structure is and we have to understand it from the individual level to understand it as a whole. Um, so there's still a lot to learn about um, their structure and, and what they're doing. Um, but as Trevor noted in, um, they, in New Zealand, they, there is some inshore offshore movement. So they're mainly inshore, but they do kind of go offshore sometimes. Um, and this is both diurnally, so day and night, as I'll talk about in a second, and also seasonally. So on the winter, they tend to be farther offshore than in the summer, probably following food is most likely the reason. Um, but again, this may not be the same for each population because they do differ in the habitats that they inhabit um, and the foraging techniques they use. And they are able to adapt their foraging techniques to the habitat and what prey is available. So they have a pretty good adaptability there. Um, so the other populations may have differing information that we don't know because people haven't looked at them as much. Um, but what they eat is uh, anchovies, mackerel, and sardines, schooling fish, and other, other types of schooling fish like that. Um, they really eat deep water species like hake and lanternfish and uh, several squid species. Um, and so the two, again, Argentina and New Zealand. Argentina, they feed mostly during the day, and this is cooperatively. So they cooperatively feed on schooling fish. So if you've ever seen the, the bait balls and the dolphins all kind of cornering around it and then they dart through it individually to grab the fish. Um, and that's on the continental shelf. But in New Zealand, this sounds more like spinner dolphins where they rest during the day and then they move offshore at night to feed on the prey that's associated with the deep scattering layer. So the ones that come mm. up as the light, the moon comes up, the, the, they come up to closer to the surface uh, at night. Um, but they will also go to the inshore and feed cooperatively when the prey is available. So again, they, they have that adaptability, which is important. Question, mm -hmm. do they know, are those two different populations feeding on different prey? So yes, um, and because so, like one of them is mainly anchovies and uh, I think sardines, the other ones are mackerel and something else. So there, there is, they're still, okay. still schooling fish, but they are, there are some differences in between the populations, but some overlap as well. So okay. it probably so just that, is- that difference in diurnal behavior may actually have something to do then with the prey, you know, just it how could. the prey are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good point. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, and so the acrobatic displays during cooperative hunting are thought to help synchronize and coordinate movements and to be able to herd the prey. So obviously if you're leaping out of the water doing these crazy things, everybody else in the group is probably going to be able to see that. <laughs> so it's and hear that. And I have a fun fact about the hearing part. <laughs> Ooh, very cool. Yeah. So when they land in the water, it can be pretty loud. So um, very cool. We'll put a pin in that so you can talk about that later. Um, my last little bit is about mating. So they can live 30 years or more. I think that's the, what I kept seeing. Um, and 
they became sexually mature, and this was varied. Um, in New Zealand, it said seven to eight, but I saw some other references that said as young as four or five and six. Um, so I'm not sure where, it, maybe that's males that are sexually mature, but not ready to actually, you know, socially mate. Um, but females generally around seven to eight is when they're ready. Um, they mate like other dolphin species, they mate year round for social reasons. Like it's, we've talked about it before in some of our other podcasts, it's like grooming and chimpanzees. It's just part of their like, Hey, hello, how you doing? We're your friend. Um, but they breed seasonally. So there are certain times when the breeding actually occurs. Um, so they mate in spring and summer, which always blows my mind because it's the Southern hemisphere. So spring and summer there is September to December. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> it, I just, I have a hard time with that. <laughs> Um, so they mate then, um, and what's interesting is that in New Zealand, they have particular times which they like to mate during the day. So usually it's in the late afternoon, just prior to going out to do nocturnal feeding. So I guess you get, you know, get that energy out and then you're starving. So you go out to eat afterwards. Go oh, frisky, get, go get some food. Mm -hmm. okay. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I see it. And then you rest and then you, you're, you're foraging all day and then and all night and you so come cool. back and you rest during the day and you get rested and then you're ready to go. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I, I don't know if there's many other ones that we've that looked at that have a particular time of day that is more likely that for it to occur. Right. Hmm. Um, so this usually happens in small groups without calves. Uh, and uh, part, of, part of that reason is because males will aggressively chase females. It's a pretty intense thing. Um, six males chasing one female. <laughs> so, uh, and in that the calf could get separated and possibly even lost depending on how intense the whole thing is. So females will try to not have that happen. So their group sizes in those nursery groups will get will be smaller at the beginning of mating season and get bigger when mating actually starts to happen because it will it somewhat deters the males from trying to get in there and and do that. And so it kind of helps protect the calves, which I thought was interesting. Um, I couldn't imagine having six males running chasing after me to to be quite intense. <laughs> Um, and then the, uh, so within that, it's not about strength for the males, as, as a lot of other males, it's like, you know, you fight and whoever's the strongest is the one that, um, gets the, gets the female, but in here it's who's the most quickest and who's the most agile, which makes sense with their acrobatic and swimming abilities because they're very, very fast. Um, so then they gestate, they uh, are pregnant for about 13 months. The calves are born from November to mid-January. Uh, they nurse for about a year, year and a half on average. And mom, uh, moms will calve every about two to three years. Um, so pretty similar to other, other dolphin species. Um, and my last little thing is that mating between species has also been documented. So the common dolphins and the right whale dolphins both southern had, white whale dolphins yeah yes have have had uh likely hybrids i don't think it's been totally confirmed but they're pretty sure from visual observations that it's occurred so again where are those genetics where's that species level <laughs> if you can mate outside um because have both of those outside of their genera um I think long beak common dolphin might be more closely related but the southern yeah, but right the whale, whale dolphin i don't is think it's yeah, they are they are on my major bucket list of cetaceans to see, by the way, because yeah, they are the be weirdest cool. looking critters and Google them if you've never seen them. They're amazingly beautiful, but they look like a flying penguin. It's amazing. <laughs> I, fly. I like that flying penguin. They're so cool. They're so cool. 
that's awesome. Yeah, so they there's still a lot to learn about these guys and who they can mate with and what those babies look like. And if those babies can then reproduce, like there's all sorts of stuff. So they're very social, not even just within their <laughs> within their their dusky dolphins. They're social with everybody <laughs> from dolphins to whales. So they're a fun, uh, they're a fun one. So before we move on to cats fun facts and stuff, we will take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, we are back. And during our break, we realized we, we forgot to say something. So Trevor has a little bit of tidbit of information about the genetics, um, since we were just talking about hybrids and genetics and things like that. So let's start with that, Trevor. Yeah. So we were talking about how closely related the Pacific white-sided dolphin was, was to these guys, but they're in the same genus as the um, hourglass dolphin and Peel's dolphin, Peel, researcher Peel. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, they all look super similar. They all have that black shading with the white Hot Wheels style. <laughs> You're right, it is Hot Wheels. I'm going <laughs> to you know, use that forever, but <laughs> they all look very similar, fairly the same size, makes, makes sense, but I just forgot. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, that's interesting, you know, and, and how, how, you know, how much are they separated to be able to be different species when they all look fairly similar and what's the genetics and it's, it's very confusing, Right. but mm -hmm. it, it is interesting they all look the same. And the Peel's dolphin is actually in the same area-ish as mm. the Dusky. It's at the okay. southern tip of South America. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I can't remember. I think the hourglass is in like Atlantic waters. Is that right? I don't remember about hourglass. They're so, really pretty though. I'm not, sorry, I'm not Atlantic. Antarctic is what I meant to say. Yeah, I can't remember. Off Antarctic my head. waters. Look at that. Yep. So cool. yeah, there's similar super range, range, but yeah. One of those hybrids. Yeah, that Very would be cool. amazing. Anyway, yeah. that was my little tidbit that I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, they okay. are very cool. So, um, so now Kat has a fun facts and, uh, um, and yeah. So we're, we're gonna do some. Yeah, we're gonna do some less fun stuff first. <laughs> <laughs> Always start um, off with the bad and then go to the good. Yeah, you know, you know, gotta sandwich it. All right. So in terms of status, um, as we've already mentioned several times now, these guys are listed by the IUCN as a species of least concern due to being data deficient. So, <laughs> basically, what that means is that. Like Cindy already said, some populations are well known, but basically we know so little about the individual and population numbers in less populous areas that they really can't make a determination on how endangered these guys need to be listed as. And that's why I don't think that they should be least concerned. Like, I feel like they should be least concerned if you know a lot and we know that we don't have to be concerned. <laughs> there should be another yeah. category for those that we don't have data on. Right. I feel like we should be more concerned if we don't have enough data on right? something that we don't know a number for. Exactly. I yeah. think I'm with you. However, we do know, and there have now been several different reports, I guess, that um, population no numbers are declining in the Southern Hemisphere, oh. um, especially due to increased encroachment by humans. So that's not mm. only population, um, or excuse me, habitat degradation. Um, that's also just our population numbers, again, physically encroaching on their right. environment, um, development of the coastal areas. Well, again, because they're coastal a, species, so mm -hmm, it's, it's yeah. going to be... Harder. They are much impacted by that. And again, like coastal fishery operations too um, can impede their fishing um, and hunting. 
Right. And then there's some other things about humans that we'll get into in the threats. Um, <laughs> in terms of population numbers, like I said, they don't really know. And that's if you look this up there, the answer is basically we don't know. We don't have yeah, that's one of the fun facts. If you look up fun facts of dolphins, yeah. dusky dolphins is like, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, I did find the following kind of ballpark estimates. And I will preface this. I don't know how old these estimates are. Mm. So I'm not sure if they're, you know, the exact accuracy of this, but the numbers that I found were um, a, a little bit over 7,000 animals off the Patagonian coast, um, around 6,600 animals off of Argentina, and in New Zealand between 12 and 20,000 animals. Okay, New Zealand is the so bigger one, yeah. Very ballpark, but again, just from those basic numbers, New Zealand does seem to consistently be the larger population. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, it is one of the most well-known populations too, mostly because New Zealand is a highly populated area. So we- Well, when I think of Duskies, I think of New there. Zealand. <laughs> yeah, that's when I, yeah. I see the pictures and everything, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so moving on to the threats, um, the two main ones for these guys are predation. So they are predated upon by killer whales and sharks. Those are the main mm -hmm. predators. Um, and then human interactions. And there are a few different ways that this can go down for dusky dolphins. So. Obviously, like a lot of cetacean species, bycatch is one of the main problems. Um, still is a problem. It's becoming less so in certain areas because of regulations around gill netting. Um, but for example, um, I did find one uh, source that was saying that between 1991 and 1993, so in a two year, two to three year span, an estimated 7,000 dusky dolphins were captured every year in Peru. But that, that's, that's how many in the population. Right. Jeez. Right. So, and this is the thing. So it's like, again, we don't know what the population number is. We have right. no idea if that's a quote unquote sustainable catch or not. Right. Um, and they, you know, they are, they are still bycaught in New Zealand as well. Again, unknown numbers, but one port did record uh, 100 to 200 animals annually in New Zealand. Mm. Um, yeah, I'd have to say, even you know, we don't know if 6,000 or 7,000 is sustainable. I, I'd hazard to guess that it's not. Like, I would assume it's not. Big, I would not. assume it's yeah. not. If we don't have a good estimate of their population numbers, it probably means there's not enough of them to have a great number. Well, so and then even picked over a year. Right. Yeah. So exactly. as I'm saying, like, even if, even if it, they're like 100,000 animals, taking 6,000 every year, it's going to deplete because they, they take longer to reproduce. Yep. So. Yeah. So it's basically, it's not, not a good thing. Right. <laughs> um, <And> note. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like I said, I mean, mostly the gillnet fisheries are the biggest problem simply because of the, the style of that type of fishery. Um, yeah. They get caught in the nets and they are targeting very similar um, fish species. And I just, I just read something about uh, gillnet, um, a, a paper by, uh, or a research by, I think, Jeremy Kiska and a bunch of other people that they did a trial thing where they had gillnetters put their nets six feet below the surface somehow they made it were able to do that and it reduced bycatch by like 80 percent that's good yeah so like there there are things out there that we might be able to do very easily that would be less impactful on the fishermen um that would help the dolphins so anyway yep. that was win-win yeah and gill nets are like we've talked about gill nets before with harbor purposes and other things it's yeah. not just one species it's an issue you know yeah, unfortunately, that is the main source of bycatch. That is one of the main fisheries that, that creates cetacean bycatch, especially. And I guess Patagonian shrimp fisheries are another mm. one that's especially problematic um, in regular bycatch of dusky dolphins. So another area in which um, humans can negatively impact these populations is boat strikes. Um, and um, oh, well, yeah. 
again, we don't really have a great number for how often this occurs, but I right. guess it is occurring more frequently and especially with increasing population in these areas. So especially in New Zealand, because there is quite a growing tourism around dusky right. dolphins now. Um, and just in New Zealand in general, tourism is skyrocketed. Um, so just with more people owning boats, more people being out on the water, you are just by orders of magnitude, you're increasing the likelihood of a strike occurring simply because there's more boats in the water. And they're, and they're attracted to the boats. They're attracted to, they're curious, they're attracted to people. So exactly. they're more likely going to be interacted. So I wonder if, right. um, you know, the spinner dolphins, they've just put out that new blanket. You can't, you know, swim with them. You can't, um, get close to them when they're resting during the day, um, in Hawaii, because, that's a big industry there, um, but they're realizing that that's when they rest <laughs> and then they go out to feed it nocturnally. So I wonder if something like that may end up happening with the dusky dolphins because it's a similar, in New Zealand, because it's a similar pattern where they're resting during the day and then they're feeding at night. So if they're not getting that rest, mm -hmm. it's a big problem. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. And I know there have been, there have been more studies and more reports, I think, on the tourism in that area, yeah. just, just trying to look at the impact that it has because it has grown so much right. um, over a relatively short space of time um so yeah one to watch um mm -hmm. and then the other area obviously is active killing so um mm -hmm. in south america as trevor mentioned earlier active hunting is still occurring um just commercial killing is is has been banned but they are still frequently hunted for food um so yeah, that is something that, again in the u.s we don't really tend to think about people hunting mm -hmm. cetaceans for food anymore that's something that's not really in our awareness anymore but it does still happen is it by like native or is it just or is it everybody because a lot of times you hear of the, the the native fisheries that are you know culturally continuing to do what they've done in the past yeah that's a good point i didn't see anything about hmm. that i mean i would assume it has been a tradition so it might right. be a traditional practice i'm that's not saying, sure yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure the extent of that. Um, How long it is, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's something that's like a, a, a culturally, you know, special thing that they yeah, want right. to continue to do, or if it's just something they've always done and they're still there, so they continue to do it. Right. Um, Seems like but, they would be not the best species to try it on because they're really fast and agile. <laughs> it seems like it'd be hard, but but they're trying to both. It still so happens. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Do if they were captive, there were any captive duskies or not. I've never heard of any. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's very few captive ones besides bottlenose just because they're just not, the bottlenose are just hardier than most other dolphin species that can survive the rigors of captivity, unfortunately for them. Um, but there's a few other species that, like they had Commerson's dolphins at SeaWorld somewhere uh, in Florida, yeah. I think. But I don't, I've never heard of a dusky. All those yeah. ones are... Hmm? Like when I was a child, I saw those at SeaWorld. Oh, the Commersons? Yeah, they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's why they're there. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, we can get into some fun facts now. Yeah. <laughs> that get was happy. my last. That is the one thing, I guess, we don't know a lot about these guys, so we don't really have a great understanding of their threats. Right. Um, okay, so first things first, um, the Latin name. So mm -hmm. the uh, Lagunarhynchus is the um, the main part and then the second part is obscurus. So it's Lagunarhynchus obscurus is the species and then obviously each of the subspecies has their own it's additional subspecies name. name. Right. Um, and uh, that basically means that the obscurus part refers to the dusky or dim. Oh, so okay. I thought that was the, pretty the, cool. the coloration I'm assuming is mm -hmm. what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Exactly. So that was pretty neat. So it's again mm -hmm. just a pretty um, 
one referring to their physical appearance. Um, as Cindy mentioned, they are one of the most agile cetaceans in the world. Um, so not only are they acrobatic, but they are literally like apparently like the most flexible, one of the most flexible cetaceans in the world. I think the Ooh. river dolphin would probably pip them a little bit, um, but pretty impressive. And so they do regularly perform leaps, back slaps, tail slaps, spins, head over tail leaps at the surface, um, all kinds of like just super, super acrobatic. But one of the coolest things ever um, is that calves are not born with innate knowledge of these moves. <gasps> and they seem to actually learn them in a very specific order. Okay. How cool That's is that? so cool. Isn't I don't think I've said that for any, for any other ones. I've never heard that before. And I'm assuming this is based on a specific population that they've been able to monitor for yeah, long probably. enough. But um, apparently there's an actual sequence of learning some of these acrobatic moves. So that probably just so you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, it's just like a gymnast. Like you got to mm -hmm. practice going into those foam pits before you do those crazy, truly twisty things that you could break your neck with. <laughs> Or it's again, like, you know, like a baby, you have to learn how to, how to crawl and then how to walk before you can learn to run, you know? Well, so that's the thing. So, you know, we talk about chin slap breathing when the babies come up, they don't know how to do the nice little roll at the mm -hmm. surface. It takes them time to learn that. Um, and they take their whole head out of the water. And then in the Bahamas, we've seen the spotted dolphins when the bat, when our boat has been um, anchored, their mom and calf will, will come up to the bow and almost station on a, on the boat. What's not moving. Like, like she's showing the calf, like, this is where you would go if you're, you know, when the boat is moving. So mm -hmm. like, they're actually kind of like, same thing. Like they're, they're teaching them how to do that behavior. They wouldn't know how to bow ride a boat innately because boats don't right. exist in nature. <laughs> right. So that's interesting that, that those behaviors that you think would be innate are actually learned because you could break your neck doing it. They're flipping through right. the water. Right. And there's probably also, again, like I, I, I was just thinking this idly to myself, but I wonder if there is potentially also like a social hierarchy of like, mm. maybe you're not, you maybe don't get to do those certain moves yet because you're not old enough. And like that does perhaps, I mean, who knows, but perhaps that does donate, you know, some level of, of authority right. in the population. Maybe there's some individuals that are like, you're the one that's going to do these leaps during, during feeding behavior. Cause you do it the best. Like maybe yeah, there's some right. roles, you know, partitioning that, of, of yeah. that. Yep. Mm -hmm. That'd be so cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's Isn't so much awesome? to learn about these guys. I know. So that was super cool. That was like my, I should have ended up with that one. Cause that's possibly the coolest oh, that's just, fact. Yeah, that's but, the best. <laughs> um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, to put a pin in with the noise part of this. Um, yes. So the, the noise of them, obviously, cause they're doing these highly acrobatic moves when they land in the water, that slap can be heard up to like 1.5 kilometers away. So Dude. there is also an element of potential communication happening mm -hmm. there. Again, like a, just a broader social implication that we don't think about because we're not living in a in a water, world. you know, 3D world of water. We're not right. living there. So um, all these different levels of communication that um, might have a lot more to do with some of those moves than we realize. Well, and I wonder too, if that would be something where if your predator would, you're trying to communicate long distance and maybe you can't because your vocalizations or whatever, but even if you could, you wouldn't maybe want to be yelling that because the right. predators would be listening in, but they wouldn't be listening for a slap on the water. Like knowing what those sounds mean could be a way of communicating without telling everybody in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And actually, as I'm looking at my other fun facts, we already covered all my other fun facts. So I guess I am ending on the coolest one. So, hey, look at me go. Because, <laughs> yeah, the only other ones that I had were just about the hybrids and the uh, the different subspecies. So, right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, that's um, fine. That's fine. I got to end on the coolest one. So that's all. That good. is the coolest one. Like, 
there, there's just, I mean, that one, I mean, we, we already know that we need a lot to learn a lot about these guys, but that, I mean, that whole culture side of it is just fascinating about mm-hmm. what we could learn. And I just, I think, especially with these guys, like just as we're learning, you know, just like even just going through this podcast, seeing how gregarious they are, how social mm-hmm. they are. It's like, there's gotta be so much more that you could study about these guys. And I'm sure people are, um, but right. it'll be, it'll be exciting to, to read some of those papers and actually like dive into that a little bit more and see what we have found out about these populations. Cause mm-hmm. just, I just find it fascinating that they're so sociable. That's just, I don't know why that just yeah. feels really. Well, cool and it, they're, it's rare to, it, it's not rare to, to talk about interspecies interactions nowadays. Now we've learned more that we've been out there more that interspecies interactions happen more often than we previously had understood. But I don't think there's any other species that I know of that has that long of a list <laughs> of, of things that they interact with in yeah. different ways. So they're playing with one, they're barrel riding with one, they're foraging with another, they're mating with another. And then why are they mating with those? If there's plenty of duskies around, you know, is it because they just Get some, excited. some individuals like like the extra extra right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, Who knows? Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and I think it's really interesting too, is being able to, if we could look at those four different subspecies or the, at least the four different areas, if there are three or four subspecies, the differences between the behaviors there, because mm-hmm. they're not continuous. And so they, how long have they been separated? What does that do to their social behaviors? Are they the same? You know, we're looking at harbor porpoises and looking at mating and seeing if mating is behavior is the same from here to, you know, Europe but they're somewhat more continuous in their distribution versus these guys. So what does that, what does that do to their behavior and how does that change over time? And does it, or is it just all innate and it's all the same? Right. Well, you have those different threat pressures too, of like, you're more likely to get hunted and killed in South America than you are in New Zealand. Does that Mm -hmm. influence your level of acrobatic behavior on the surface, say, for example. Right. Or, you know, where you're migrating inshore, offshore versus what right. prey. If you have that ability to be flexible, maybe you go, oh, well, I'm getting hit by these boats or whatever. So I'm going to go try to eat this other food more. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. So fast. They're just, you know, they're just super friendly. They're just everyone's yeah, best right. friend. I know. Well, and that's the thing, right? So it's the friendly ones that always get, get hurt the most because they're <laughs> in, you know, they're like, hey, how you doing? I hit by a boat. So it's, it's unfortunate that the friendly ones are the ones that oftentimes have the harder, harder time, but hopefully we can realize that and change it. Yeah. And hopefully we've inspired you to learn a little bit more about dusky dolphins and maybe throw some support towards people who are doing work on dusky dolphins so we can find out more about them. Exactly. I know there are, there, there is a group in, or in New Zealand. I know that one's long-term at least. One of my former supervisors actually used to work on dusky, dusky dolphins and Hector's dolphins. So yeah, she so I know there's them. some research going out there. I'm not sure about the other mm-hmm. places. I know Versig did some stuff. I think it was in either Argentina, Argent, Argentina, Argentina, <laughs> um, or uh, or Peru. I can't remember which one it was now. I think it was Argentina. Okay. Um, anyway, so there are some groups out there, but it's they're definitely have more of a lacking of information on these guys. So hopefully, like I said, go look them up. You can find them on YouTube. If you just put in dusky dolphins, you'll find acrobatic videos from all over the place. Uh, yeah, from it's incredibly cool. Stuff, so yeah, so check them out, love them, learn, learn about them, and then uh, maybe throw some support to those researchers out there. Um, so that's what we have for duskies. Um, we will be back next time with probably a journal review where we are getting our, our interviews lined up, uh, hopefully for a little bit later this fall. 
Um, and then keep an eye on our Facebook and Instagram stories for the next marine mammal poll. Um, I think we're leaning towards some right whale dolphin maybe as one of them. Um, we'll have find out if that's what we land on and who it's up against, but either way, that'll be two cool ones to, to choose from. Um, and so we love that you guys are voting um, and uh, just keep it, keep that up. And if you wanna learn anything, if you have anything in particular you wanna hear about, let us know either through Instagram or Facebook or email on our website. And don't forget our website has a uh, gift shop. So we have some cool yes. merch there. Go check out and find some cool Pac-Man merch and some really cool stuffies, which are awesome for Christmas time, which I know it's a little early, but I'm just saying everyone's going to be shopping early this year because of shipping. So just get on it. Yeah. Just I, my mom just told me just that there's like container ships out there that can't dock because there's not enough people to take the containers off the ships. So yeah, you better get started early on your Christmas shopping. So go to our website to help with that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for us and we will see you next time. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about the species we discuss, check out our blog. Head to our website, www.pacmam.org. That's P-A-C-M-A-M dot org to check it out. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks. <laughs>